Welcome to This Must Be The Place, a podcast about communities and the people who build, support, and live in them. I'm your host, Greg Dunlap. Our guests today are Tanessa Gamelke and Christina Halverson from Brain Traffic, a content strategy agency based in the Minneapolis area. Together, they are also the primary team behind Confab, an annual conference that focuses on content strategy and user experience. Over the years, Confab has grown a kind of passionate and crazy following, and I wanted to talk to them about how Confab came to be and what makes it so special. So, Tanessa and Christina, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Sure. So, I only really attended my first Confab a couple of years ago. So, could you kind of give me a brief history about how and why you started it and how it's grown to the place that it has today? Yeah, sure. I can take that. Uh, this is Christina. Um, back in 2010, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, the content strategy conversation within the user experience community was really starting to take off. And we were just sort of all these content strategists who had been feeling lonely in their, in their jobs were finding each other and books were being written and there were tons of blog posts being written And I, uh, through my travels as a speaker, had met so many amazing people and one day was just like, I should have a conference and we should invite all these people to Minneapolis and we'll sell tickets and it'll be amazing. And so I kind of went on Twitter and was just like, we're going to have a conference at Brain Traffic. Uh, And shortly thereafter was like, oh, this is this is hard. Oh, my God. What have I done? (laughs) Yeah, no, that is that is. you know, I, I think that when people first hear that, they're like, oh, that's just confab lore rewritten. And everybody around me is like, no, that's really what happened. <laughs> uh, I just started inviting people. So, uh, you know, I, I secured the necessary experience and assistance to, to produce this conference. And I would say that it, it was an immediate amazing success. Like it sold out almost immediately. And we had hundreds of people on the waiting list for it being the first, you know, content strategy conference in America. We were so excited. Uh, but the, the, and, and I will use the word magic, like the magic of that first event was really this experience of having all these folks who'd been working so hard to help their organizations get content right and had felt so alone in that battle, as many of us still do, come together and go, oh, my people. Ah." And so uh, it was just really great. And generally speaking, content strategists are just fantastic folks anyhow. So so that's that's where it all began. And it was great. And it all worked out despite me. What has changed about it over the years? Because, I mean, I know there was like a period where you were doing like sub-confabs and separate confabs, and then you kind of drew that back. Like, how did that, how did, what was the evolution of that to where we are today? Sure. I I would say that, and and Tanessa, you kind of took over as director of events in 2000, remind me. I think 14 or 15. I think 14. It's been so long. (laughs) <laughs> it's been so long. I mean, considering it's been a decade since March. Um, yes. Yeah. So at that time, you know, we were having the wait lists for Confab were so long. We just thought, geez, we really want to be able to provide more opportunities and sell more seats to the to these conferences because the community was growing so rapidly. 
And one of the things that we heard from people after the first few confabs were, I want really, I want much deeper dives. And so our solution to that was to introduce an event called Confab Intensive, which was three days of half or full day workshops. Uh, That got complicated because Confab Central, which was our big central conference and the original one and then Confab Intensive kind of a little bit started kind of competing with each other. And then we had Confab Higher Ed, which was super popular and great with the higher ed crowd, but also uh, was complicated for us in terms of just a business model because we had to price the tickets so much lower. And so generally speaking, we were like, kept introducing conferences and we kept wanting to throw these parties. And then finally one day we sat down and we were just like, oh, right, money and business. That <laughs> gets in the way of our content strategy parties. So we we made the decision to just kind of pull everything back into uh, one big happy confab, which uh, has worked out very, very well um, over the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and in recent years, what we had done that that sort of met the needs of, we hope, most of our audiences, we actually added the intensive workshop component to the beginning of confab uh, in, I think, 2018 and 19. And so folks could have that deeper dive that they'd asked for. And we always make sure that we still have higher ed represented in the programming. So trying to create one big family reunion ended up being the most popular model. Yeah, I could see, you know, you talk about how the magic of bringing everybody together was you have a lot of people who are alone and they come together and they realize they're not alone. And I, I really, and I feel like that's the basis of how a lot of communities come together. And it seems like maybe dividing up into sub events kind of broke that model to some extent, like people are going to the event that matters to them, but then you don't have that everybody coming together once a year uh, thing anymore. Yes. Yeah. Fun. I think, I think that's wise. And yeah, one confab to rule them all. That's what we mm-hmm. yeah, call yeah. them. Uh, yeah, that, that may be true. And it certainly was like the excitement of being at the confab is very, is very pal- palpable every year. And, you know, yeah, that is definitely something that we don't take for granted. There's a real, like, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but confab has a, like a mood or a vibe that's very, very specific to it. Like it does not feel like a tech conference when you go. It doesn't feel like it in the way that it's presented and it doesn't feel like it in the way that the people interact. Um, How much of that was intentional or how did that grow? Like, did you have that in mind from the beginning? Were there things that you did to create that or was it more organic or what can you speak to as far as that goes? I, I mean, I think that, yes, probably to all of those. Um, <laughs> right. I, you know, one, one uh, advantage we had coming into Confab and planning Confab was that by 2011, when we debuted, I had spoken at a lot of conferences all over the world. Uh, I had written content strategy for the web in 2009 and was really out there kind of banging the big drums about the importance of content strategy as a discipline within user experience. And having been at a lot of conferences, I knew a, a lot of things I did not want to do and a lot of things that I felt really added to uh, the attendee experience in terms of making it truly a, a user centered experience for, you know, we never catered to our, our 
business model was never heavily dependent upon sponsor dollars, for example. So we didn't have a trade show. Uh, we were not willing to cut corners on things like food or the party because that's that's part you know you're leaving the office for three days you want to have a good time you want to meet people and we just that was an important component to the confab experience um i think too as i i you know i i and i i experienced this doing confab virtually i i cannot overstress the importance of of the MC of an event setting the tone. And it has been an incredibly conscious choice for me from the beginning to make sure that the tone is approachable and friendly and accessible and not like, you know, we are here to preach to you because we are the wise and intelligent ones. It's very much a, we are here, we are in this together. You know, I, even when I do speaker coaching, I tell speakers, look, I don't want you to feel like you are up on stage teaching everybody and that they are your students. If you can imagine that you're sitting in an audience of your peers and then it's your turn to go on stage and share what you know, and then come in and sit back down with your peers and the next person goes up. And so I, I just, all of those are, those are several of kind of the conscious choices that I have made. I will say that Tanessa Gemmelke is a fanatic about uh, who happens to be here with us today oh, hi. is a fanatic <laughs> about ensuring that attendees have extraordinary personal experiences as like loved ones and rock stars walking through the door. So Tanessa, maybe you can talk a little bit about, about where your priorities are there. Yeah, we, I, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about every single human being at Confab and the experience that they're having. And so um, you know, Christina really brought to the table that perspective as a speaker. And so over the years, we have just really worked to continually improve the speaker experience, trying to help them feel as prepared as they can with coaching. Um, we always pay our speakers. We like we we really try to build in a system of support so that all they have to do is show up and share their knowledge. And we also apply the same thinking to our volunteer squad. So we have folks behind the scenes who you know, when we're in person, they're on their feet all day and they're running here and there. And and we have the same kind of training for them where we, we set them down and we're like, you need to go to the bathroom. You need to eat. You need, you know, we try to, we, we remind them of just tending to their humanity during the events. Um, and then we, we sort of celebrate every group of people. We, we celebrate with the speakers at a special reception. We, you know, bring all the volunteers together at the very beginning to thank them. And we have snacks and we and, you know, make sure they get included at the party. Um, and with our sponsors, we treat our sponsors the same way. I always tell sponsors, you know, we don't have a trade floor, but what that means is you don't get lost. It's, you're not sort of relegated to the sales area. And our sponsors are invited to eat lunch with us and go to any of the parties. And, you know, we really just try to treat every person there like a person. And it's funny. People like that, I guess. <laughs> You know what's hilarious is that yeah. You know what's hilarious is that we've been talking about this for five seven minutes. We haven't once mentioned, I don't know, the program. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's one of the what things that, that I was gonna. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I was gonna bring up at some point. I mean, is that you know, I I thought it was interesting because you were talking about how as MC of the event you bring the you set the tone for the conference and and the reason that was interesting is because most tech conferences I go to don't have MCs at all right they may 
if you're lucky, have an opening and closing thing where people come and tell you about what's going to happen, but they don't have that kind of personality that having an MC, whether it's you or whether it's someone else for some of the events kind of brings to it, you know, um, that, that it's really, it really does seem like a family reunion with a tech conference attached to it rather than the other way around. That's what we're going for. I will say that one of the things that we also have worked hard to do and have gotten better at over the years is to make sure that people who are coming through the door for the first time feel like they're a part of that reunion or feel like that they're, that they are a part of, you know, whatever the confab community immediately walking through the door. Um, I, there is an event that I attended early on, like in 2009, 2010. And I, it was an event where people had been returning year after year after year for a decade. And I walked through the door and could not have felt more excluded from like the minute. And I was a speaker. From yeah. the minute I walked in, I felt like there were a ton of inside jokes and like parties and games that were happening that I wasn't invited to. And I just thought, I am never going to let this happen in an event of mine. And so Tina said the great idea a couple of years ago, we do like a confab first timers call to make sure that everybody, you know, gets questions answered. We make sure that, you know, there's tons of wayfinding once you arrive at the conference that I, I speak to them directly on stage. I, you know, ask people who've been there several times, make sure that you are introducing and seeking out because you were a first timer once too. And, and that, uh, that has worked. We have first timers say, you know, I felt so at home at this conference. So that's, that's what we're going for. And if you've ever been at a conference with bad signage, it's it like <laughs> the feeling of being lost is just a really crummy feeling. And, you know, we are so lucky, we, you know, talking about the mood or the vibe, we have Sean Tabridi, our creative director, who doesn't just make signs, like he makes beautiful signs and he walks the space and tries to anticipate where people are going to feel that feeling of being lost. And, you know, creates these little gifts that we give at the registration desk. And I, I think just having that feeling of welcome and uh, and just reassurance that you're in the right place does, a, it goes a long way toward helping people feel included. And I, I mean, I can speak as having been a speaker at Confab that the experience that I have had as a speaker at that conference was absolutely unparalleled from any other conference I've been speaking at. And I've been doing that for like a decade at this point. So, um, you know, what you're doing is working. And it really, I, I feel like it really goes to show what, you know, because this is a conference about user experience and content strategy, and you have taken those principles, it really seems like, and brought them to your own product as an example of what can happen when you take those principles to a product and to make it successful. Yeah, that is, that that could not be more true. And I think that Again, we come back to those principles of everything being user-centered. Is it the sponsors? Is it the attendees? Is it the speakers? Is it the volunteers? You know, even the people that help us at the hotel, you know, tell us that, it, you know, it's good working with us. And, and, it, and it's, it's, just, it's just because, like, that's, that's what matters to us is what's happening for the people who are there. And that, that's what content strategy is all about as far as I'm concerned. It's that constantly centering your user and that's whether it is your reader or whether it is somebody who is using your product or whether it is 
you know, team members who need to understand roles and responsibilities and process when it comes to content. Like you constantly have to be asking the questions, what do you need? How can we help? How can we make this better? What's going to make you feel understood, safe, seen, delighted, and satisfied? Um, one of the things I had been meaning to ask about that you brought up already, but I kind of wanted to dive into it a little more, if there's anything there to dive into a little more, is this idea that, that you know, I know that a lot of communities, especially ones that are very close knit as a lot of the, as it is for a lot of the people who have attended confab many times, they become, they do become very insular. Um, and you know, what you were talking about, about like in jokes and about, um, you know, shared experiences and, you know, rocket ships and cake and all of that kind of stuff can feel very isolating for new people. And I know like I came into confab with my colleague, Jeff Eaton, and, and because he was already in that community, it was, I felt it very easy for me to get into it through him. But like, like it does sound like it, it is a very conscious decision to, um, to work against that and to try to make sure that, that you're, you're not, you're not falling into the trap of making something that only the people who have been attending it for 10 years can continue to enjoy. Yeah. I will say that, um, you know, every year we're amazed by how many first timers we have. We, and we always, that's the first question Christina asks the audience, raise your hand if you're here for the first time. And, And I think just seeing that visibly, um, and, and of course, now that we're virtual, we have a first timers Slack channel. And when you when when they look at each other, like, oh, there are three hundred of us, uh, they they feel less alone as first timers. But the other thing that we do is when whenever we're having any kind of a group conversation. So, we, for example, we have our new conference button coming up, and we had all of our speakers together, and we were having them introduce each other. And and some of the speakers have known Christina or me for ten years. And so they're kind of making the inside jokes and they're like, oh, it's so great to see you. I remember when your baby was born. You know, we're having those kind of friendly conversations. But then whenever we're in that scenario, I'm really, I really explicitly coach at some point. Like for those of you who are here for the first time, you know, we want to make sure you know, we did a blind read. We didn't pick these people because they're our friends. Like you all got Mm -hmm. here on the same credentials and... Uh, and you know, you are really part of us now. It's not, we're not going to have a click where there's sort of the, the people who have always been here and the new, and so, so whenever I see anybody kind of doing that, I'll, I'll try to open the circle. I'll try to invite somebody in or just kind of lift up that shared value we have about being inclusive. Yeah, it really does seem to to me that that inclusivity and diversity of the speaker lineup has been something that's been a really high priority, especially in the last few years. And not just, I mean, and not just in terms of making sure that you have people of color and that women are represented and stuff like that, but also in making sure that you have new voices and you're not just hearing the same people year after year after year. Um, is I mean, I'm I'm assuming that that is something that's very intentional on your part as well. That has been, that has been such a serious um, responsibility that, that I'll say I personally have felt to the content strategy community at large over the years. Um, You know, one of my very first speaking uh, opportunities was with an event apart, which was ironically in a conference that was like on my bucket list to attend. And then before I even got to attend it there, I was speaking at it. And 
Jeffrey Zeldman and Eric Meyer uh, run that conference, and they are they have been so committed over the years to identifying up and coming voices that they think have something important to say that can help shape the world of the web and products for the better, and then giving those folks a chance in the spotlight uh, to really raise up their voices and and make sure that they're heard and brought into the larger conversation. And I I took that um, charge really seriously when we came to, you know, Confab um, over the years, when it came to Confab, just in saying, you know, Content strategy is evolving so quickly every day. And now, especially over the last two years, we have seen just this like firm establishment of specialties and specializations and different kinds of content strategy raising up in organizations. And like without actively soliciting the the perspectives and the experiences and the approaches of these folks who are on the front lines who and maybe haven't written books and, you know, maybe haven't been blogging or don't have a podcast or haven't had the chance on the stage. Like we don't draw those voices in and lift them up. We're going to stagnate as an industry. And so, you know, it's not just about, I mean, it, there is so much about like giving individuals that opportunity to stand in the spotlight and say, and say, you know, say their piece and share their wisdom. But it is also definitely about continuing to like, curate the discipline and and help kind of establish or or augment i guess uh principles that are shared through the discipline and the things that you described inclusivity accessibility uh raising up marginalized voices uh you know making sure that content is available for people when they need it where they need it how they need it um those are, we need lots of different voices to help make that happen. And so that has, that has been a commitment for us over the years. Yeah. I would say if there's, if there's one, I mean, we, we agonize over every aspect of every conference, but Christina and I are real programming geeks. I mean, we will, we will sit for hours and hours and hours um, just really trying to make sure we curate the best possible collection of ideas. And I will say that there always comes a point in time where we are sitting helplessly staring at like six different <laughs> piles and just going, we could have six confabs right now. Like why, <laughs> like the quality of proposals that come through the door every year are just mind blowing. And so that's, yeah, that's a, that's a gift. Like we're lucky in that regard. For sure. I mean, I mean, another thing that I'm just realizing talking to you about this is that I think another thing that kind of promotes the more community-centered aspect of Confab is that you don't have a conference that divides everybody up all day into eight tracks of 20 talks each, right? You do like, like you have like maybe three rooms with a talk in each, but everybody periodically is always coming back to the main room to sit together and listen to a talk or to watch, um, you know, ignite talks or to come to, or, or to have cake or whatever it might be. But, but that periodically coming together and then breaking apart and coming together seems like it would also really foster this community aspect that we are talking about here. You know, that actually was a very intentional change that we made a couple of years ago, because for the first several years, we did like the big ticket, keynote, right? Like we right. brought in authors, we brought in LeVar Burton, we brought in Dan Rome and Austin Cleon and, you know, and, and we shelled out a lot of money for these big lead names because that's what conferences did. And we kept hearing, you know, 
that from people that like the time that they were together was really meaningful. And so I don't even remember what triggered it, but a couple of years ago, we were just like, let's forgo the big name keynote and let's have everyone stay together for the first morning. And we will just curate, you know, kind of a main stage program of shorter talks that are broader in appeal, that maybe aren't, you know, as hands-on tactical, where we can talk about the industry, we can talk about ethics, we can talk about approach, we can talk about values and people and process. And then we'll break out, and you're right, into sort of those three different breakout sessions. And then on day two, we'll start with the breakout sessions. And then for the afternoon, we'll come together again for another main stage program. And people loved it. It has just been a huge success for all for all of those reasons that you stated. I also want to say we have talked on again, off again. Well, we talk every year, I guess, about whether or not to grow Confab because right now it sells out at about high 600, seven, about 700 people. And we always have waiting lists, uh, you know, a mile long and we could sell twice as many tickets. I have no doubt, but it is, it is just important for us to be able to maintain the size conference that allows people to feel like they're coming together and not just sitting in the stadium, squinting at the stage. And I mean, that itself, I assume, helps with the newcomers as well, because it means that the crowd of people that they're encountering, I mean, 600 to 700 is a lot of people, obviously, but it's not like, like you know, I would go to DrupalCon every year and it'd be 3,500 people and, you know, right. there's a gigantic trade show floor and stuff like that. Like, it, it does really make it more approachable, it seems like. Yeah. And we, we've talked about, you know, if we wanted to grow into a convention center model, I mean, we have that option, but- but that doesn't feel like confab to us. I love that because, you know, we talk about communities and the choice. People treat communities like, like growth is a given, right? And, and making a choice to say, this is what I've got and I really love it and we don't need to change is really important. It's the kind of thing that I feel like a lot of people, when they're building or managing communities don't think about because everybody's so focused on building the biggest thing at all. But if, but if, but when you think about like what your goals are, what you're trying to achieve, growing to the biggest thing may not actually be the best, the best choice for everybody. Well, and you know that I have run up against that as a business owner for the last 20 years where, you know, I go to business owner conferences or I join groups and the number one focus is how do I grow? How do I grow? And brain traffic to me, I was told really early on that you are either going to run a numbers business, which is you want to grow and sell, or you're going to run a lifestyle business, which is that you want to make a good living for yourself and for your employees and, you know, do, do what you love. I mean, not that you can't do what you love with the numbers business, but still where you're, you know, instead of putting the numbers first, you can put the people first. And that's just that is just the kind of business I have always wanted to run. And so my, my approach has always been, look, I know how much money I want to make every year. And as long as I make that much money, then I'm good. And Confab, you know, between Confab and our consultancy, that has allowed me to pay our employees well. Um, you know, I <laughs> raise a family, own a house, like whatever. Uh, but and I, I just don't, I just, for in, for in terms of growth, I just have not had ambition beyond that, largely because community is such a central value to me. And I think that community does become harder and harder, the larger it becomes. So, but, you know, and, and I, I mean, I don't know, Tanessa, if you, if you want to speak to that at all. 
Yeah, I, I would say, you know, when you asked earlier about the years that we have spun off into different things, a lot of times that was because we were trying to respond to a request for a different kind of community. So if we could, if we saw a group of people coming to us saying they had a special connection or need or group uh sort of group substance that they wanted to dig into a little more deeply, that's when we would, you know, spin up a new community, whether it meant going to Europe to make a conference more accessible to folks overseas or doing ConFab for nonprofits because those folks can't afford expensive conferences. You know, we, we, we were always driven by that, that hunger for community. And so, and when we came back together, we were driven by the hunger for one community. So, the, I mean, that's definitely a value we hold closely. Um, and, and we don't create a product unless we see that it has that behind it. So this year, of course, you turned Confab into an online experience. So what sort of were you thinking about as far as bringing that forward into your online experience and how did you make sure that it happened? (laughs) (laughs) What you're hearing is is PTSD. (laughs) Well, no, let let me frame that some intentional transition to a <laughs> conference in the year no, but seriously, I mean to, in all seriousness like like you you did manage to bring the feel of a confab to an online experience I mean it was very successful much more than any other online conference that I've been attending this year and so I mean I'm sure that things went into it to make sure that that happened on purpose even if they were unintentional or on the fly yeah, you know, I, I guess I would, yeah. So when we finally were like, okay, I guess we're going online if we're going to do this at all. We we sat down and I think one of the first questions we asked was not what platform are we going to We probably started with that question, but then we came back and we we're like, okay, what is Confab? Like, what is Confab? Okay, yes, it is the sessions, but it is the gathering together. It is the hallway moments. It is the food, which obviously we were going to bring to the table, but, you know, it is... Uh, lifting up new voices, like, like, and so those were the things that we thought, okay, well, these are, this is what we need to center in the experience. And so while we were flipping out about, you know, oh, we have zero experience doing this and we are surrounded by tons of other people with zero experience doing this. um, We, we just tried to hold on to those core elements of Confab and figured and figure out how to bring those, uh, through the screen. You know, what we said over and over was we are not going to do a, a three day zoom, zoom call. Like that is not going to happen. And so, you know, another, another thing that, that sort of dawned on us as the days went by was that we were also going to be producing an online conference for people who were stuck in their houses during a global pandemic and, and that trying to just sort of like put the conference program online as is, was not going to work in people's day-to-day realities. They had children crawling all over them. They were sad. They were scared. Uh, you know, what What could we do to sort of help weave Confab into the fabric of their lives for those three days? And I guess those were the, those were the principles uh, that were driving our decisions in terms of what was going to be on the screen when. Yeah, I think the three words that Christina lifted up were community, uh, conversation and connection, and that we people really needed to feel like they were together, 
not that they were isolated with a laptop. Um, they they needed to feel a two way experience so that they were not just listening because um, you you know you can listen to lots of things, but that they were connecting with each other, with the speakers, with Christina, and so you know we we set up our Slack workspace that way. We developed our live broadcast that way, um, and to the points Christina made about sadness and isolation, we introduced some really goofy, fun stuff just to break up the days because there was no joy at that point. You know, in, in May, the joy was in short supply, and so even giving folks a pet show or karaoke or or just anything at that point, I think in the time that's passed, people people are finding ways to introduce that back into their lives. But, but at that moment in time, especially there was, there was just nothing. And so I think a lot of the response we had from our community was just gratitude that we gave them three days of happiness. Yeah. And, you know, we also, I I think that that was, that was what we decided we wanted to focus on during the live broadcast. And we worked really hard to build out this really robust library of content for the talks themselves that were going to be appearing in these breakout slots uh, that people would have access to now for a whole year. And so, you know, that I, we sort of decided the, the meat of the content, they can go to that at any point in time. These three days need to be about connection. And, you know, the other thing too, is that uh, people wanted to watch other people having conversations. They wanted to listen in on that. And so, the, you know, the less time we had of just like one person talking over slides and the more time we had of people really chatting with another, with one another and having spontaneity and, you know, riffing off of one another and, and building on each other's ideas that that was what people were hungry for. And so that's kind of what we focused on. I think too, the other thing that we had to keep telling our production company was Confab is not slick and overproduced. Like that is just not who we are. And so I, I understand your desire to like run a super tight <laughs> ship, but ultimately, you know, I, I, I'm confident I had to get up and let my dog out at least once while I was broadcasting live to a thousand people. I, you know, I had in super fancy, um, Bluetooth earbuds that in the middle of a conversation with Sarah Richards, started to, was like battery low. And I was just like, oh crap, you know, excuse me while I get up and rummage through my purse to get my wired headphones. I mean, and, and that, I think people, they wanted to see that. They didn't want to see superstar YouTube, you know, perfectly produced anything. That's not, that that's, you can get that anywhere. I felt like the keeping of a live aspect to it was really important to that too. Like, like a couple of conferences I've been to have been sort of more along the lines of, we are going to show these videos, but, but mostly what we're producing is a library of con content and we're calling it a conference, right? As opposed to what you all did where I felt that the live importance, the important part of of what you get at a conference, like taking yourself out of your day and attending and being present still managed to be a really integral part of what you built there. Yeah. Our, our production partners will always tell us having everything recorded in advance is the safest way to do everything. And, uh, and we certainly, you know, for, for the library of content that people have purchased their ticket for. And that, that, I mean, that was initially the draw of the conference where all these smart speakers and their presentations having some control over the quality of those was worth doing. But I agree with you. I think if you, 
if, if you could watch those any time, then why would you watch them live? So we, you know, we tried to inject some some things that people could react to in real time. And our Slack workspace was blowing up. I mean, just bananas. I think we hit our 10,000 messages, if not the first day, for sure the second day. Um, because people were really excited, again, by that feeling of being together. And I think the live broadcast sort of facilitated that. One of the things I did notice over and over in the Slack was the number of people saying that if it wasn't for an online event, they would never have been able to attend Confab at all. And, you know, expressing how this was really great because it allowed them either because of the distance away that they live or their financial realities or whatever to attend Confab without having to travel to Minneapolis to stay in a hotel for three days. Do you see that as even, you know, assuming we do reach a point where we can all gather and get together again, do you see that online component go keep staying a part of Confab going forward in order, again, on the topic of inclusivity and whatnot, in order to make it more accessible to more people? I don't think that that's going to be optional, to be honest. Uh, and I And I think it's not only... I think it's not only because we are so excited to be able to bring uh, Confab and and now Button to people around the world. Now that we are, you know, more familiar with these these tools and opportunities, and figuring out how to enlist the help of community members in in all time zones. I also feel strongly that companies are going to say, "Well, look, it didn't, you know." It didn't cost me $3,500 to send you to this conference and put you up in a hotel and pay for flight. Uh, it didn't cost us that much, so your professional budget is now slashed by half or two-thirds or whatever. Mm. I think also people are flying. They're not flying right now, and they're going, oh, I don't need right. to fly as much as I was before. And there's so much focus in the news right now about, wow, look at how this is cutting down on carbon emissions and you can see the skyline of cities that you haven't been able to see for you know decades or whatever, and 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 I just think there's going to be greater uh, consciousness and awareness about flying less. So uh, I I think that that's a component too. But but ultimately, what's going on right now is setting firm expectations among audience members that I don't have to I shouldn't have to be there to take advantage of the opportunity to participate in this conference. Yeah, and you know who knows if or when people are going to be excited to get together in large groups again. I mean, this we're, we're going through that's something right. that's just resetting all of our, all of our perspectives on that. So you all have a new conference that you're starting called button. Um, what, what's that all about? And like, why did you decide you needed to do a new thing and how is, or isn't it different than confab? Oh boy, this is, we've been talking about doing a conference like Button for a couple of years now. And this is, I was mentioning earlier, um, how exciting it has been over the last couple of years to see content strategy uh, gain traction in areas of real specialization within organizations and, and across different fields of practice. And one place that we were seeing a real clamoring for connection and community was in the field of product content strategy, which also wraps in uh, the practices of content design and UX writing. And really the only community that exists for that today is a Slack workspace called the Content UX 
Slack. And, you know, it started off with maybe a couple hundred members. And I think it's up to like 8,000 members or something, which was really indicative to us that, okay, people are looking for information. They're looking for insight uh, that is more uh, uh, specific to working with digital products and designing digital products than our focus of Confab, which is really like the world of content strategy. So, you know, it's people who are thinking about websites, who are thinking about products, who are thinking about enterprise content strategy and, and guidelines and systems, who are thinking about structured content, who are just thinking about the role of the content strategist in the, in the greater world. Uh, and so, so having identified that need, you know, we really just saw an opportunity to uh, bring those folks together again, centering around like, here is a home base for you. Here is an opportunity for you to talk about and, and put some parameters around and develop some shared principles for your, your practice of product content strategy and, and, um, the associated, you know, activities and, and fields of practice. And, uh, the minute we announced, Hey, we're going to do this conference around product content strategy. Like we barely whispered it. I think we announced it in a couple of social media accounts. People lost their minds. I mean, it was just crazy response on social media. And we had like 1500 signups for this email list overnight uh, you know, and then pandemic, but whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, so, and some of the feedback that we got was I haven't been to confab for somebody said, I haven't been to confab for the last several years because it was just too broad. And this is, this is exactly where I need to deepen my expertise. So that was, that was where button came from. Yeah. And at confab, I mean, we were certainly seeing a demand for these topics, but you know, we would, we would, pick a couple of UX writing talks, we would pick a couple of product content strategy talks. And it just, it wasn't enough to meet the needs of that audience. But of course, making half of Confab, that would alienate a lot of the Confab audience too. So it just felt like a natural next step. Is there anything that you're doing differently as far as planning button or how you're putting it together or anything by, based on the needs of that conference than Confab, or do you expect it to be very Confab-like? Uh, we're both waiting for the other person. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, you Given, know, of course, I, I mean, that it's going to be- say, I will say we want to build on the success of Confab. And so, you know, it is, we asked, as we always do, we, we asked for open feedback and had hundreds of comments and ideas and, you know, kudos for things that went right and, you know, complaints about things that could have gone better. And, and we want to, we want to up our game. We don't want to break anything that worked and we want to try to give more of the things that did. So, I, there are going to be a lot of very, very similar elements. We're going to, the Slack community will be structured very similarly. Um, we hope to inject, you know, some fun and levity throughout the day. We are going to be focusing on conversations and exchanges and Q&A and in our live broadcast versus just straight, you know, a bunch of straight uh, talks with slides. Uh, we've got, we're going to have an even more robust library of content. I, I guess I would say that like the general structure of button, yes, will be very similar just with some adjustments to the program. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think the programming choices are really different. And so in terms of what people can look forward to, like what are the panel discussions about or how are we approaching different topics? You know, th- this is a group where 
you know, at ComFab, we might have had an introduction to UX writing approach. And here it's more like really diving into the nitty gritty approaches that different companies use. And, and, and people are sometimes working on huge teams uh, and working with really different kinds of, you know, departments and their, their struggles are different. And so I think we're really trying to develop a program that speaks to the unique struggles of working with digital products. Well, if uh, Confab is any indication, then I'm sure it will be a smashing success, and I wish you all the best of luck with it. Um, before we go, is there any place people can find you on social media or anything else you want to um, get out there uh, for people to find before we sign off? Y- yes, absolutely. <laughs> We are super excited to welcome folks to Button. And if you would like to uh, sign up for our email list or learn more about the program, you can find us at buttonconf, B-U-T-T-O-N-C-O-N-F.com. And also follow us on Twitter, same handle, at buttonconf. Uh, If you would like to sign up for the brain traffic email list, which will get you information on all the conferences and events, you can do that at braintraffic.com. And you definitely want to follow Tanessa on Twitter at G-E-M-E-L-K-E-T because Tanessa went viral two weeks ago. That's right. Viral sensation, Tanessa Gemmickle. Crazy viral because her son came and told her that there was a serious leak under the sink. And she went to look under the sink and there was a leak like an onion with a very serious expression drawn on its face. And uh, they, yeah, hundreds of thousands of likes on Twitter. And then just, it was picked up by media around the world. So you do not want to miss out on Tanessa, but also come to our conferences. Yeah. I'm a celebrity now named Leak Mom. Uh, Christine is also a delight on Twitter. She's at Halverson. Uh, one of my coworkers recreated that in a video with her boyfriend, the serious leak thing. She said, she said, oh my God, there's a giant leak under the, under the sink. And her boyfriend <laughs> came running into the kitchen only to open it up and find a giant L-E-E-K under the sink. So you've inspired much hilarity. My son has ruined relationships all over the world. <laughs> Uh, well, I want to thank you uh, both for the time today. You know, Confab is a really amazing thing that you built. I really appreciate the ability for you to share some of the things that you've done to make that happen and uh, come on the podcast today. Thanks for well, having thanks us. Thanks so much for having us. I There's just nothing more that, there's nothing I love more than people that love Confab as much as we do. So we really appreciate your enthusiasm and desire to learn more about it. Thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place. You can find out more or subscribe at thismustbetheplacepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at tmbtp underscore podcast. Our theme was composed by Will from America, and our logo was designed by Marissa Epstein. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.